A lot of people don't know that clean energy jobs have paid 25% more than the national median wage. Clean energy jobs are more likely to include healthcare and retirement benefits. Welcome to the Energy Sense podcast that explores the most fascinating trends, news, and ideas in energy efficiency. I'm Chris Rawlings, the Chief Efficiency Officer at Veteran LED. Today, my guest is Mona Dejani. Mona is on the board of directors for the American Council of Renewable Energy, is equity partner and head of energy and infrastructure at Pillsbury Winthrop. Shaw Pittman is a civil engineer and a lawyer. Mona, thank you so much for joining the podcast and welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. So I've been following you on LinkedIn, looking at all the awesome content you're putting out, and that's really what uh, attracted me to you. You've got so much uh, of a broad experience in what you have done in the past from uh, engineering and your business background and um, really internationally looking at, at the UK and the US. Um, really amazing stuff. How did you find yourself in the role that you're in today? Well, that's a really great question. Um, well, first of all, I uh, started many years ago in Houston as an engineer uh, with Enron. So shout out to uh, Houston and to Enron, uh, old Enron. All the and, refugees. <laughs> <laughs> the refugees. And quickly realized that uh, I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to be an engineer. I wanted to do deals. I wanted to, um, and uh, it was taking so long to get some of my deals approved by the lawyers that I just decided to just go to Go to, I also have an MBA and go to uh, law school at the same time. So did the JD MBA thing. And then I started working in uh, private practice and uh, was basically, you know, started um, in energy because I, of my, my first start, you know, in, in, uh, at Enron. And quickly from there just morphed into, I was doing a lot of power and uh, oil and gas, but uh, and downstream work. I uh, got into renewable energy, and renewables really covers like clean energy, alternative energy, solar, wind, hydro, um, waste to energy, recycling. And it was always an interest of mine, and I always was just very, very passionate about it. So it was easy for me once I started doing these types of deals to really get into it because I was very passionate about it. I decided and made a conscious decision to just focus on clean energy. And this is, you know, 20 years ago. This is before it was really fashionable. It was really, you know... Um, before the, it was the, cool. <laughs> before it was cool, I was doing it. And so now where I am is I really feel that because of where we are with uh, the pandemic, the world now has seen how important it is that we see the importance of clean energy, of saving our planet, of recycling, of using waste to energy. We're connected. We're, uh, we're humanity. We're living on this globe. And this is something that's affecting everyone we are all in this together and it can't just be one country. It really has to be very global. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think you brought up a great point talking about how the pandemic, it really exposed, I think, all of us on an international level of how sensitive our economy, our health, every right. everything can be. Uh, it's all interconnected, right? Ex exactly. And so understanding that, you know, energy plays a huge part in that. And we've talked about in, in past podcasts how indoor air quality and the healthiness of these buildings crosses over into energy, whether it's uh, resiliency right. or right. things like that. So that's a, a great point. So you talked about hydrogen a little bit there. I know you've mm -hmm. got some uh, some big things happening. You've, you've uh, got a f the first dedicated hydrogen practice. Can you tell us a little bit about hydrogen and why the focus there right now? Sure, I would love to. Um, I work at a... Um, law firm um, in, uh, you know, at Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw Pittman. I am the, um, I lead the global practice in energy and infrastructure. And we do everything um, energy, soup to nuts. And we started to have a lot of clients, and this is an international firm, so uh, while I sit, my office is in uh, Manhattan, in normal times, I would go to, uh, I office also in London. And while I'm in London, I, for the last few years, I was seeing how hydrogen was making such a huge impact uh, with um, certain, there were countries in like France and Germany and Denmark and Norway and such, where they were actually providing tax credits and incentives to manufacturers and to ultimate consumers to be incorporating um, hydrogen into their products or their, um, their buildings, cars. So I started seeing this and uh, our clients, we also have a lot of, we also have a big presence in, in uh, Asia. And our clients were very much getting into it. It's also very big in Japan, in Korea. And we were getting so much traction and uh, our clients getting into the space, whether it is with, uh, you know, transport or EVs or mobilities, shipping, uh, electric buses, uh, ports, using hydrogen gas turbines that we really felt like we had to uh, dedicate a practice to this because it is a uh, soup to nuts kind of deal because there's it's a big value chain. So we have clients that are all over in the value chain um, and, 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 and of course, energy efficiency. So using hydrogen. So uh, we decided to dedicate a practice and let people know this is what we're doing. And um, we really think that hydrogen will be a uh, critical component uh, for the net zero going forward. I tend to agree. I'm looking at the, the EV game right now, particularly yeah. with, with hydrogen. There's yeah. the, the company out of Austin, <laughs> Texas. I can't yes. remember the guy's name with the semi-trucks. Yes, um, yes. So I'm be closely following that. That's a big, it's a, we're, we are representing a number of EV startups and uh, some that have both the EV and hydrogen space also in the SPAC market too, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to, to help them get financing. 
And um, it's been very, very um, satisfying to see that, you know, to watch them grow uh, to the next level. So tell us a little bit, you mentioned a little bit about working with small businesses or, or startups uh, and trying to help them kind of get get to the next level. If we have a listener that has an idea, they have a technology, they have a business plan, maybe they're in year one, maybe they're in year five. When would a, a company maybe reach out to someone like you and kind of what are some of the services that you would provide and helping them get to the next level? I am a deal maker slash lawyer. I have a team of lawyers that work with me directly. And then I have uh, other lawyers that also work with me that, that have specialization. Like some just do tax, some just do regulatory. I have startups that come to me. They usually come to me when they have a lot already baked in. OK, like they already have the business plan. They they a lot of them have already started their uh, company. It's already started. A lot of them already have some um, they have some capital. They have seed money. They have some, you know, someone backing them. Mm -hmm. So it's more than just ideas. It's pretty concrete. And now they want to take it to the next level. And what I mean by the next level is. They either want to join forces and have uh, make some strategic partnerships, uh, do some acquisitions, or they want to be acquired by someone bigger, or they want to uh, attract more financing, whether that be in the form of capital markets, or they want to do um, more venture capital, or they want to attract, they want to do a SPAC, they want to go public. That's kind of where I get involved. So it's not like just brand new starting out. It's not really, um, from a transactional point of view, uh, worth it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, you want to be, you want to kind of already be there. And, and then I help you take it to the next level, either um, with the money with the partners, also expand your geographic footprint, whether that's, you know, in the United States or abroad. And I bring companies together. Well, you, you brought up, um, you know, fundraising and looking at the capital markets, M&A. You know, a lot of times when you're when you're starting a business and growing a business, you're trying to figure out, you know, how to do that market research, that market analysis to figure out which mm -hmm. either geographic region to hit, which market to hit, whether it's, you know, federal government, municipalities, distribution, with your finance background and your understanding of the cash flow from top down, how do you assist companies looking from the bottom up in looking at the markets and saying, hey, this is this is an area that you need to kind of focus on or mm -hmm. This is an area where you may want to pivot from, or this is an area where you can do it, but you definitely need a partner. What plays into to that process? I think what's critical is that, um, look, we, we want to help our clients. We want to help them succeed. We want to help them go to the next level if that's what they want to do. Sometimes the next level means going public. Sometimes the next level means we need a lot more capital to go where we think we want to go. The first thing is that we would be engaged as their counsel. 
And then we would determine whether, you know, some of the items, some of the, uh, based on our uh, experience with other companies in this exact space, help them with strategy. Where do they need to go? You know, Mm -hmm. do you want to get bigger? Do you want to get more focused? Do you want to, uh, you know, join with another strategic partner that could help you so that you can be positioned better to either attract more capital or attract more strategic partners or um, perhaps attract a suitor to buy you? You know, everyone Mm -hmm. has different, um, uh, you know, visions of where they want to go. And we use our expertise um, both with the strategy and knowing the space for almost 25 years where you should go next or help you, you know, think about where you you may want to go next. Okay. And then we um, we help you, you know, we help you get there. And sometimes we, uh, you know, the work is pure strategy. Sometimes we need to ask for um, specific outside um, consulting help with something like that's very, very specific. And sometimes we just, um, you know, depending on what it is, we help, um, you know, companies with um, the strategy with, with um, more than that. Like we, like some companies that are very heavy on uh, with their IP, we help them actually from a tax perspective, believe it or not. We've worked with companies that you've heard of now that are very well known. But we said, "Hey, we should move your we should we should move your IP to another vehicle so that you can have some tax advantages." Mm-hmm. They want to go to the next level. They have something game changing. You know, we're delighted to assist. And and you talked a little bit about the the tax. You know, we're we're living kind of that that experience right now on a very small scale after being in business for six years. We realized yeah. we put a lot of uh, effort into R&D this year and we just realized that we can actually there's there's uh, tax incentives there right, uh, right, to, so right. we can recapture some of those costs. But switching right. switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about um, your role at the American Council of Renewable Energy. I know mm-hmm. we, we spoke about clean energy jobs. What industry right now do you see is going to see the biggest increase in clean energy jobs in the next couple of years? Yeah, so um, let me let me just go back just just to say um, you know a little bit about um, ACOR. Um, it's a great organization. It's the American Council of Renewable Energy, like you said. Um, I am one of the board members, and uh, what we do is uh, it's we're a pan um, like clean energy organization agnostic to the technology on advancing um, clean energy in the United States. A lot of people don't know that clean energy jobs have paid 25% more than the national median wage in 2019. And clean energy jobs are more likely to include healthcare and retirement benefits. The American Council of Renewable Energy released a report And basically, it's the first comprehensive analysis of wages and benefits in the clean energy sector. And according to this report, workers in renewable energy, energy efficiency, 
grid modernization and storage, clean fuels, clean vehicles have earned a median hourly wage of about $23.89 in 2019 compared to the, na the national uh, median wage of 1914. And there are many clean energy jobs that are likely to come online that come with healthcare and retirement benefits that are really better than, um, you know, that are non-clean energy. I think that this is just one indication of how our economy is focusing on clean energy, and it's a smart thing to do. And it's for lawmakers to look to rebuild our economy and get Americans back to work. You know, these jobs pay better, they come with better benefits, and they're helping to fight climate change and get to a net zero economy here. So I think that, again, more renewable energy means more high quality jobs with good pay um, and better benefits. And it's really important for our lawmakers to invest in these jobs um, because it's essential for our economy and for um, climate change. Understanding the metrics behind um, clean energy jobs and, and the impact that they have, I think is very, very important. You know, a lot of folks that aren't necessarily believers in uh, mm -hmm. climate change or believers in, in clean energy. Um, I think one of their arguments a lot of times is, well, we're going to we're going to be canning all of these people that are in the oil and gas industry. And, you know, mm -hmm. we can't just train them overnight to become coders or become, you know, whatever they need to become in this new clean energy realm. But I think reports like this that show the financial impact and how people can be prosperous by having a job in clean energy, I think is very important. Yeah. I mean, I would just, um, I agree with you totally. And I just think, and I hear you. I mean, but a lot of the um, people in oil and gas, I've already seen pivot and they're pivoting to renewables and getting, um, it's not like they have to start completely from scratch. There's a lot of um, job characteristics that can be redeployed again. And yes, there has to be some changes, but not it's not like a complete new career um, path. So I just want people to know that it's not hard to change. And in fact, that's what a lot of the oil and gas majors are doing now is um, they're retrofitting a lot of their um, existing plants so that they can service hydrogen. And all those people were, you know, they're all traditional oil and gas that are helping them do this. I'll also say that ACOR released a analysis uh, over the summer that said that, you know, a lot of investors remain very optimistic about the long-term renewable energy growth, um, even as companies experience, you know, these headwinds from um, the pandemic. This report tracks the project of a $1 trillion private sector investment in renewable energy and enabling grid technologies. Uh, by 2013. And this $1 trillion of investment uh, would represent more than two times the historic investment in the U.S. renewable energy sector. And we look to doubling our existing renewable energy, which energy efficiency is part of, um, to, to you know, bringing us closer to meeting these goals. Renewable energy, energy efficiency, 
It is um, being driven by um, expanded state renewable energy standards. In foreign countries, uh, primarily in Europe, such as France and Germany and Denmark, even um, the UK, uh, as well as Japan and Korea, South Korea, there have been a lot of government incentives to really to really try to jumpstart as much as possible clean energy. So I believe that we've made a lot of progress towards this $1 trillion private sector goal, but we need a lot more uh, here in the United States policies to help uh, spur more in you know, renewable energy so that we can um, hit these goals. And the, but we, we still uh, strongly believe, and because of the pandemic as well, that the fundamental um, health of our sector is very strong. And especially in America, there's a lot of attractive investment options. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know it's given me some encouragement looking at uh, especially the investments uh, and or divestments from from other industries. Yeah. Um, and, and seeing that, you know, it's part of the reason that I believe we were able to come into market so quickly and so easily with our LED lighting was because of the cash rebates mm-hmm. that were provided at the utility level. You know, we naturally transitioned into looking at HVAC and looking at, you know, weatherization and insulation. And so, I think we need to get a little bit more uh, money invested into these rebate programs and incentivize the end users or the contractors mm-hmm. and facilitators that put these projects together to really see a, a boost. And I think mm-hmm. we need to pay particular attention on how these programs are structured to make sure that the end user uh, and everybody involved are, are being taken right. care of the way that they need to be. And then mm-hmm. finally, these programs need to be monitored because we need to be able to know the exact effect of these projects. Um, right. And that's going to be done through uh, IoT metering, real-time metering and monitoring right. of these projects, you know, pre-project and post-project. So to kind of wrap it up, I know we're, we're running out of time here. Um, if you could offer some advice to anyone looking at getting into the energy space, maybe they're coming out of high school or coming out of college, they know they want to be in energy. Where do they start? So... The first thing is you got to love what you do. Okay. So you got to love this. You got to be really passionate about it. That's why I've been doing this for over 20 years. And now it's um, just incredible what's happening, what's going on in our space right now. It's just great. Love it. Um, I think some advice I would give is um, first of all, you got to get some credibility. So um, I'm, I happen to be a very strong proponent of getting an education or getting a trade, whatever that is. And um, making sure that you have the background and you have the backbone and you have the credibility to speak the language. So like for me, I went into engineering and then ultimately went into um, finance and law together. That's why I combined them together. So you definitely need to first step, depending on where you are, get the education. Number one, in, in the space that you want to get into. The second is you get that after you get the education, get a job in, in, a, in, a, in a company that you like and that you like the people and you like what, they, what they're doing and, and where they want to go. 
And uh, then usually what happens is um, if you like the space, you start specializing. Find a company that you, uh, that you want to work for, understand their business, and then you start meeting people and you network. The third piece of advice I would say is not to get discouraged. You're going to get a lot of rejection. And you, uh, I think that one of the things that uh, characteristics that I have and that I see in others that are successful, and I didn't get to say this on your show, but I have a lot of clients that started out with some of them college dropouts, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> but still, but are today multi-billionaires that made it in this space. Yeah. Okay. And why? It's because they didn't take no for an answer. They're resilient. They uh, kept on going forward. They got a lot of rejections and they still had their eye on the vision. And that vision is really formed, I think, when you're um, building up that credibility. Absolutely. That's great advice, Mona. I really appreciate that. And I think it really spoke to our listeners, especially the resilience piece. Just, uh, yeah, you know, I can I can attest to that personally. Going door to door, twenty thirty businesses a day, getting twenty nine yes. no's, but it only takes that one yes, and yes. making sure that they have a good experience, and then they're going to be, you know, spreading the word about how awesome you are. Hopefully, so that's that's great yeah. advice there. Yes. Well, hey, Mona, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast well, today. I know uh, we only had a short time. We, we had so much that we wanted to cover. We'll leave a link in the description of the podcast. so Everyone can get in touch with you on LinkedIn, Twitter, and all the social medias. Go follow Mona. She's got some great information she puts out. So thank you once again. I'm Chris Rawlings with Veteran LED. Thanks for listening to the Energy Sense podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcast. Please subscribe, follow us, and share with a friend, and we'll see you next time.